Good morning. Welcome to the first Sunday of the Advent season. We know Christmas is in the air because uh, that sad tree is sitting on top of Macy's uh, <laughs> across the street. I was walking here this morning and just going, wow, just get a real tree. Okay. Uh, but it's great to be with you uh, today. My name is Derek. I'm the pastor here. And if you're visiting with us, we welcome you uh, to our church. And uh, we're looking forward to the next four weeks. The Advent season is essentially um, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And, um, and so we've chosen to sort of walk through that as a church community. Uh, we actually have five gatherings planned. We have the next four Sundays and then Christmas Eve right back here in, uh, in this building at 6 o'clock on December 24th. And so if you're in town, we invite you back to that, which will actually close our, um, our season out together. Uh, we're excited about uh, what we're going to do uh, over the next four weeks, and I want to show you this slide. Uh, this is what we've chosen to do, and this is how we've chosen to frame uh, this series for us, um, and I want to walk you through this so you know where we're headed and, uh, and then invite you uh, into this together. One is we have chosen simplicity. Uh, as you've already could tell, we sort of be- began the season very simple. Um, we've done a lot of creative things this year. <laughs> we preach with drums. We've had lots of art. Uh, we've done all sorts of things. Uh, but we chose simplicity during this time uh, over the next four weeks. And so there won't really be anything that you hear or even experience that's like this wow moment. Uh, maybe spiritually, that's what we hope. But there's nothing that we'll present from the stage that's just crazy creative I might, by God's grace and mercy, stumble upon something brilliant and share that with you from the stage, but uh, I can promise you that the forecast on the sermons is deeply rooted in simplicity, and our gatherings will uh, reflect that. And we do that mainly because the chaos of the season, but more than anything, as you'll see, it's it's so important for us to focus uh, during this time. We've also chosen tradition. Um... Christmas and Easter, believe it or not, for pastors is just a nightmare because uh, we're struggling to say something fresh, and um, there isn't anything fresh to say. It's an old story, and so we've chosen tradition uh, to just simply move through some of the, uh, what I would call the super texts of the Christmas season. The Bible is full of them. The Old Testament is full of them, in fact, and we'll look at one of those today uh, and just stick to the tried and true ancient texts of the Bible uh, that talk about this uh, this season. And you'll hear some traditional music. You'll hear some uh, new music as well. Uh, but by and large, very traditional uh, format. We've chosen community. And I want to explain this because I'll end with this as well. But one of the things that we've never asked of you is to move with us through a series. We've said, look, come, learn, enjoy, grow, be challenged. But we're we're actually going to ask you to move with us through this season. We've done a couple of things. One, we've printed up Uh, what we've just called the Advent readings, and these are just ripped off straight from the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, By the way, typing these out was a a nightmare, uh, because each day has several readings, and so we have outlined from now until December uh, 25th, really, readings for each and every day, and these are available at the little tables on your way out and also in the lobby, but we just invite you to pick one of these up. There are readings that you do, and if you do them, you'll notice a progression. Um, that moves you through the stories, both from Old and New Testament. So uh, we invite you into that community aspect of the season. And then finally, we've chosen movement. 
um, I met with an old friend, and I mean old both as in we've known each other for a long time, and he's really old. Um, but I met with him about this particular series months ago, and he said something interesting. He said, uh, he said, my music minister doesn't listen to me on this, but this is what I think. When you're in the Advent series, that you should not sing Joy to the World until the very end. That's what he said. He said, now our music guy, he's afraid of our people, and they want Christmas songs, and so that's what we do. But he says, if it were up to me, the series would move very slowly, patiently. The word Advent just means coming. So there's a sense of not yet in the word. There's a sense of waiting, anticipation, patience. But there's really a call for us in the series to just move with the texts and move with the Bible and move with the stories. And so we've chosen movement over just standalone sermons. So today we'll connect to next week, and next week we'll connect to the next week, and that week we'll connect to the next. And so, again, coming back to the community aspect, we invite you to be here through all of that and move with us. Next slide, we've also chosen four of uh, the more traditional topics to teach through. Hope, which we'll talk about today, peace, joy, and then love. And we have a fifth for Christmas Eve that uh, if you're here, you'll be a part of that. So with that, that's sort of an introduction. I don't know if we've ever put slides on the screen that said this is what we're doing for the next four weeks, but there you go. Um, Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you stand in a moment, say hello to some people, and to scoot in because people are still coming in late. And um, But then I want you to remain standing because we're going to read a passage together out loud on the screen, our text for the day. And while that's happening, my son will come and light uh, the first candle of the season. Is that good? So take a few seconds, say hello to people, and then uh, remain standing. Okay, if you would, remain standing, and uh, we'll read this text together. Let me just give you a head start on a couple things before you start reading it. The two regions that are mentioned are pronounced Zebulun and Nephtali. I didn't want you to get there and trip over that as a community, and so uh, just giving you a heads up. We'll read this together, uh, and this will get us into our, our text for today. Once we're done, just stay standing, and I'll pray, and then we'll be ready to go. Let's read this together. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless... There will be no more gloom for those who are in the dark.
Let's pray together. <laughs> God, thank you for this season, and thank you for um, the light of your Son. And as we circle around that over the next few weeks, I pray that you uh, instill within us a fresh uh, passion for uh, you. God, for those during this season who are seeking you, I pray that uh, our journey together will be one of, uh, of insight and teaching and inspiration. Uh, thank you so much for this church family that you've gathered together, and um, we stand in the midst of your word today. We stand after reading such an ancient text about the promise of a Savior that uh, we just ask that you um, mold us as a family, as a church family, fashioned after your Son, seeking you each and every day. And it's in your name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Have a seat. Um, just a few minutes of teaching and then just, just a nugget is all I have for you today. Just a small thing. Uh, but first, the text, a, f- a very famous text. It's Isaiah chapter 9. If you read ahead, uh, this is one of the many places in the Old Testament Uh, where God begins to make these utterances, these promises of a Savior. And when you read further into the chapter, which next week we'll get into a little bit, you'll you'll begin to see some framings that really point to Jesus, descriptions of Jesus. So this is, in fact, a very, very uh, famous chapter, and it's been one uh, that the church for since the beginning, it's a very safe and comfortable place to sit and to find hope and to really say, okay, this is one of the This is one of those times where God begins to make these promises to ancient Israel. Now, the words are 2,700 years old. So they're not just old for us, but this is well before the days of Jesus. And the thing about any prophecy of Jesus, any promise that God made of sending his son, uh, all of those things you can find in the Old Testament. But what's quite interesting is that there's a break in the story. There's a 400-year silence between the Testaments, sometimes we say. And so even though we have this extraordinary promise, especially at the tail end of this text about um, light and a new life and so on, it goes silent for many years, many generations. Now, the text is divided in half. There are two halves. There's One half is, as you can see right there at the top, is one of gloom and distress. And it says uh, they were humbled. Humility. And this is not the humility of a good kind. This is the kind of humility where you feel like everything is lost. Um, Don't know if you've ever felt that way, but it's the kind of you feel humbled by the circumstances. You feel humbled by perhaps your own mistakes. You feel humbled by the things that uh, are happening around you and perhaps to you. So there's this real, uh, you know, the weather in the verse is very dreary, gloom, distress, humility. And so the first half of the text deals with that. But the second half, it's almost like there's a, an exchange that's made that's very drastic. It says, but there's a new thing. There's light. There's life. There's something better is going to happen. There's a promise of something better, a promise of kind of a way out. It's kind of a light at the end of the tunnel statement. So the text is divided in half, the first half being dark, the second half being light, and then it goes on in the rest of the chapter to, again, describe the coming of the Savior. But this text was given, or these words were spoken 
at a time to Israel when she was, as a nation, living underneath the weight of her own sin, the weight of her own waywardness, her mistakes as a nation. And so she herself, as a people, felt lost. I mean, the, the text describes this is they felt humiliated, humbled. Now, it says in the past, he humbled these two regions in Israel. This is God. And it's true. And for reasons not completely known to you and to me, God chose and has chosen many times to discipline his people. Now, let's go back into the story. Genesis chapter 12. There's a slide coming up here. Uh, perhaps you know this, but this is the call of Abram. Uh, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a what? A great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. What's the next line? Through you. So the story of Israel begins with God saying, I choose you to bring salvation to the world. Could have chosen anybody, but he, chooses, he chose Israel. And he takes this people, this small sort of fledgling upstart nation. He says, through you, you will be salvation. Through you, salvation will come. We sang about that earlier, that salvation has come. But the Bible is very clear. It comes through Israel. The Savior will come out of these people. Next slide. Later in Isaiah, he says, I, the Lord, have called you into righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you a covenant people and a what? A light for the Gentiles. And so it's not just that God said, okay, you as a people, through you, salvation will come, through the birth of a Savior and so forth. But you as a nation will also be an example of how to live life. You'll be a light to the Gentiles. And Gentiles is sort of an all-skate word for anybody that's not Jewish. And so, a light to the world, to the nations, so to speak. Uh, next slide. Jesus said it this way, you are the what? Light of the world. So the story hasn't changed. God's people are always called to be a light. They're always called to live this kind of life that shows itself uh, to the world. Now, Israel struggled to do this. Time and time again, if you read the Old Testament, time and time again, you see God meeting them in their failures, meeting them where they had dropped the ball, meeting them right where they had um, left things undone. God said, this is, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to be. This is how I want you to live. And they would say, okay. And then they would live life differently. They would fail. Paul says it this way, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God gived he gave. He gave Israel. <laughs> he gave Israel this way of life to be a light to the world, and from them salvation would come. So this is where we get the phrase: they were a chosen people, a holy nation. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Holy means set apart for the purposes of whatever God wants to do. So a holy thing is something that God is using. And so a holy nation of people, a separated people, a chosen people. But just as it is with us, we just don't always live up to that. Sometimes I'm dark to the world. Sometimes I'm just a dim light. This makes sense to me. It's a struggle. It's a struggle for them. It's a struggle uh, for us. Um, it's a struggle to be all that God has called us to be. 
my son, uh, who lit the candle and then said something, uh, when he was about five, he had learned the Ten Commandments. I think it was through Sunday school. I, li- I would like to say that we taught them to him, but I think he learned them in Sunday school. Uh, and he's four or five. I can't remember exactly how old he was, but it was years and years ago. And uh, in his life, it was half his life ago. But he had learned the Ten Commandments and uh, had memorized them, and, um, which was great because we would reinforce that and go, oh, this, this is what this means, this is what this means, and so on. Well, there was this one time, and I don't quite remember the situation because his reaction to the situation overshadowed any memory of what it actually was. But he had lied about something, and I busted him on it. And so just in us talking in his bedroom, I said, well, uh, so you lied about that. (laughs) It looked on his face was like, he said, I lied? Like he was doing the math. I lied? I said, yeah, you you didn't tell the truth. And he's thinking, "That's that's the ninth commandment. And he started to cry because in his mind, he'd blown it. That was it. I made it to five. I lived five good years. <laughs> and in his, like, I had to talk him off the bridge of despair. Like, he thought, that's it. I don't think he knew the concept of hell or anything. He was just like, that's it. I'm out. I've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I have sinned. Uh, God is uh, done with me. And so he was tearing up and crying and screaming. And I was like, he doesn't, he doesn't understand the grace of God. He only understands if I don't do this, then this is what happens. Or if I, if I do this, then God hates me is what he was. That was the interpretation I got. And so uh, I don't know if you ever felt that way. But it's just, I mean, we actually did, if you're new with us, we actually just did a whole year through the Ten Commandments. And it's just not easy. Those things are, in fact, somewhat impossible uh, to totally live by them. And not to mention all the other commandments that God had placed on the backs of his people. I would say that it's almost impossible to live that kind of life perfectly. And so this was the first time, at least for my son, I don't think he interpreted it this way, but he gets a taste of what it means to be humbled by your own condition, to, be, um, to feel what it's like to fail spiritually, to understand that there's a divine standard and I can't always meet it. Like, this is the lesson that begins to form as we, as we fail. And so I just remember that uh, thing sort of just wrecking his world. But it was like, well, this is a, actually a good thing because it teaches him that he's not perfect. And it teaches him that although God calls us to be a certain way and live a certain way, sometimes we fail. Now, back to our text. Israel, time and time and time again, dropped the ball. They failed as a people, as individuals, as families, as tribes, and so on. Um, and God dealt with them. But if you can bring back up the first slide, uh, our, our text from this morning. So that's the first half of the verse. It's just dark, just darkness. But then God says to them through his prophet Isaiah, it says, but in the future, pointing to Christ, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness, and this is part of a poem in the text, have seen a great light. 
If you read the Bible long enough, you'll notice that light is very significant. The Bible begins with what? And then there was light. Let there be light. Life signifies life, newness, new creation, right? It has so many meanings. It, not is it just symbolic of life. We know from science that light is a part of life. And so even in the old text of the Bible, we see this like connection between light and life and living and so forth. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light is dawn. And so we have this, the beginnings of this messianic hope of, of a Messiah, of a Savior, God beginning to speak. It's not always going to be this way. And the thing I like about this, and the Bible does this time and time again, it takes the story of whatever is happening and it pulls it forward. And it says, I know that this is your situation and this is how life is. And this is not just indicative of Israel uh, and how they are living, but it's also a picture of the world that they're living in. It's just dark and it's in distress. But God says throughout the scriptures that history is not staying here, but it's pulling forward and history is going somewhere. And this is the first time in this chapter where we begin to see God saying such things like history is going somewhere. It's not going to always be this way, but it's heading in a certain direction. Christmas. Um, Lights. This is the time of the year where I will walk out of this door at the end of every day and I'll start to walk home and the street is uh, just jammed with people going to Linux, right? Like there aren't gaps anywhere else, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> and it'll just be a standstill. But it's also dark uh, about that time, this time of year, and so all you see are just a sea of lights, white lights coming up, red lights going south, and so you just see like all these lights. Uh, right, at, We just live about a mile from here up the road, and it's really cool during this time of year, all the condos that have trees out front, they decorate them, and there's just lights on either side of the street, so that's pretty cool. And if the lights are on in the buildings at night of people's homes, you can see Christmas trees. I saw one last night. It was all blue lights. Is anybody an all blue lights Christmas tree? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. Um, it was an all blue lights. It was beautiful. Um, we had ours up before Thanksgiving. Anybody? Thank you. Uh, <laughs> My wife didn't even give me a chance to decorate. She's like, I think I'm going to start decorating. I went to the store, came back, done. I was like, okay. This is the season for family traditions and <laughs> warm moments of, you know. She did say, well, I haven't put the angel on the top yet. Oh, okay. All right. uh, yeah. The tree across the street, they'll light, they've already lit that thing, right? Thanksgiving night. Um, it's, we're still announcing the birth of a Savior with lights. Whether it's the lights of our cars going into the mall, uh, the pictures people are taking of their kid on Santa's lap, the flashes from the bulbs and the cameras, the lights on the trees, the lights on the streets, the lights on the balconies of these condos, we're still announcing something with lights. And you have to think about this day and time. 
People walking in darkness have seen a great light. Do you know the significance of light and dark in a time where there is no light, when there's no electricity, when there's no artificial ceiling of street lights and lights from the buildings? And I mean, when it was dark, it was dark. And the sky, the astronomy, is what lit the night. And so when God begins to speak of light and darkness, it's very understandable for them. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Let me close with this thought for you as we enter into this season. Um, And this is the nugget that I just want to leave you with. Advent. And please hear this. I mean, we're heading to the manger, but not so fast, because Advent invites us into our own darkness. Stay with me. Advent invites us into the dark corners of our own sin, to that place where we are forced to ask this question, and it is perhaps the most profound question of the season, and that is why. Why did, why did this have to be? Why does there need to be a Savior? And so Advent on the front end invites us into this spirit of our own like questioning of why did God have to do this anyway? Why doesn't He just let things be? And so it's a joyous season, but it does not begin there. It actually begins in, the own, in our own darkness, in our own dark corners of our own sin. We celebrate Christmas and Easter very differently. Christmas is a birth. It's like life. It's like great music and gifts and candy and stuff. And Easter is about a death. I mean, there's a resurrection at the end, but we don't normally see it as like this joyous thing up until that day. But the truth is, they're, they're the same. Because Jesus was born to die. And so the question, uh, Augustine raised this question, there has to be a reason for that. And Christmas is not just, uh, the Christmas season is not just what we make it, but it's this call for us, this invitation to ask the question, why does something like this have to happen? Why does God have to send a Savior. So, in essence, it invites us to move into our own darkness and into our own sin and to answer that question of why God sent His Son into the world. It inspires us to wrestle with His coming. But there is hope. The last slide. I love this. Paul says, but when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. But the top part is so beautiful. When the time had fully come, which means you could read it another way, when, um, you know, when God was ready. And this is so connected to the Old Testament promises of a Savior. So finally we have this, like, again, history is going somewhere. And when the time had fully reached where God wanted it, Christ was born. But again, we have to wrestle with 
why any of that had to happen. And so here's what I invite you to do tonight as a family, as an individual. Um, perhaps light a candle in your own house to, to symbolize the, uh, the beginning of this season, but to just maybe reread through the texts that we've looked at this morning, uh, pick up the readings on the way out and move through those, but maybe just journal, okay, let me answer that question. This is a great time of the year, and it's so joyful, but where does it really begin? Why does God feel like He has to make this move to send a Savior? Like, why does He have to do that? That's the deep question. That's the profound question. And that is so separate from whatever's happening in the world during this time of year. I don't know about you, but I think Christmas started at Halloween this year. Am I wrong? Because I went to pick up candy for my neighbors, and it was like, wow, wreaths, trees, okay. And so it's not, we're, I feel like as a culture, we're actually moving, not that, the, not that our world hasn't taken this holiday and run with it, but they may run away with it, which might be the best thing, because then we can come back to this and say, okay, what, what is the real deal here? Why is it that uh, God had to come? There's a, uh, a quote I want to leave you with. Um, it's from a book. Uh, by this lady named Joan um, Chittister, which is a hard name to say, and it's on the liturgical year, and it says, we are not here in this dark chapel tonight because Christmas is the high point of every church year and Advent its most profound season. The church year does not start here because Christmas is coming. The church year starts here to remind us why Jesus was born in the first place. And that's where we want to begin the season, is with that truth that God saw the world, as John writes in his gospel, and he loved it so much, not because we are so lovable, but because he wants to redeem it. God has a picture of what he created in the beginning, and that's what he wants. And part of that is redeeming each and every person to be the people that he's called us to be and created us to be. And so John says that for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only son. Again, not because he just said, man, they're just, they're just great. But he saw and he continues to see and he feels and he's compassionate. He says, this is not how it was supposed to be. They need a Savior. They need this. And that's how we walk into this season with the full hope of salvation and the full hope uh, that God will come again. And uh, that's how we'll leave it. Um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a couple more songs together, and, um, and then we'll be dismissed for the day. It's good to see you. Uh, thanks for coming on time, and uh, thanks for not coming at 930, although a few of you did. Um, but we put a vacuum in your hand, so it was great. Uh, but it's good to see you. Uh, welcome to the season, and I'm looking forward to the next few weeks together. Let's all stand and, and pray, and then we'll sing a couple songs on the way out. God, thank you for this day, and thank you for um, your son, Jesus, whom we focus on so much this time of year. And um, God, as we move each and every week uh, closer to the manger and closer to the birth story, um, that you'll just 
continue to move us as families, as individuals, as a church towards that together, uh, that we'll grow with anticipation. Um, God, it's hard for us because we have to go backwards in time um, because we're on this side of your birth. We're on this side of Jesus in history, and so it's hard for us to really understand how difficult it was for Israel in those days of darkness to hear your words of a Savior and the promise of a Savior and just to sit there in the midst of their own lives and sin and failures and wonder when that was going to happen. But God, we're just so blessed to be on this side and look back and say, man, when the time fully came, you did it. Somehow you put skin on and you came into your own creation and you lived among us. And we know at the end of this, you died on a cross and were buried and rose again from the dead, but for now we just contemplate why you came in the first place. And we sit in awe of your love for us, that you loved us so much that you came, not because of who we are, but because of uh, who you want us to be and what you're trying to do in this world. And so we as a church family, we stand today and we pray this prayer of thanksgiving and of gratitude, and, uh, and we put all of our hope and trust in you. And it's in your name that we pray. Uh, Amen.